0: the great encourager and of course superseded this morning by the emblems on the table before us, the work of our Lord Jesus Christ who of course sits at the right hand of the Father and continues to watch over our lives and through the means and providential hand of the angels encourages us and guides us in that right pathway. So this morning we want to have a look and continue this uh, story of Barnabas and see uh, his persistency as he laboured together with the Apostle Paul. Just winding back of course to Friday night. Uh, there was, you will be aware of the disappointment, of course, that both the Apostle Paul and Barnabas would have had with the defection, as it were, of John Mark as he turned back uh, to Jerusalem. And Barnabas, although he was connected because John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, he had to make a decision there in that moment to continue with the Apostle Paul. And it was going to be a very, very difficult journey. We we sort of painted the picture of, of the robbers and the bandits that were known historically to be in that area operating. So it was dangerous territory for these two men to progress through, and the record of the journeys of the Apostle Paul say that he went from Perga in Pamphylia up to Antioch, where there was a strong resistance, and they were, they were both thrown out of that town. And they continued on now to um, Iconium. Well, that was a walk of 153 kilometres. I guess in all the uh, narrative that we often read, we forget the distances that are being travelled. So it would have been a very uh, difficult journey, as we say, through uh, a very troublesome territory. And the Apostle Paul, in his last writing, actually makes reference of that particular element of the journey. Second Timothy 3, verse 11, he says to Timothy, You know the persecutions and the inflictions which came to me, and he geographically points them out, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So in his last writing, the Apostle Paul recollects from his memory this particular element of the journey and he says to Timothy, you'll know how tough it was in that area. Well, if it was tough for the Apostle Paul, and he writes about that, how tough was it for Barnabas? And again, sometimes we we lose the connection of this faithful companion, this persistent man who was the great encourager who walked alongside the Apostle Paul through this dangerous territory. And so we come to our section this morning from Acts chapter 14 and particularly just starting at verse 1 because there's a very interesting comment that connects Barnabas and Paul together. So in this journey, of course, uh, although John Mark had left, uh, they continue together. So Acts 14 verse 1 says, It came to pass in Iconium that they both went together into the synagogue. And I think there's a, a wonderful underlining of that whole spirit there. There was no fractious relationship between Barnabas and Paul. They served God together. And here, just in that little phrase, they both went together, is reminiscent of the service of many companions who who supported each other. Uh, Peter and John, in John 20 in verse four, says they both ran together. There's no competition between Peter and John. They just heard the news of the the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, John being a little bit more fit, reached the tomb a little bit before Peter, but there was, there was not a competition. just saying they both went together because they were enlivened with this news of the resurrection of Christ. And they wanted to embrace that. And of course, Genesis 22 and verse 6, same phrase, they both went together. Well, this was Isaac and his father Abraham. So in this little phrase, embedded in this phrase, is the whole aspect of a working and a cooperation together. And so there was this dual effort between Paul and Barnabas as they press forward to present the Gospel in a very powerful way. And that really filters down to us as an Ecclesia, as brothers and sisters, we work together as a team. I guess sometimes in life there are a little bit of differences in the way the Ecclesia operates, but in the long run we have one aim and one aspiration and that's to welcome each other into the Kingdom on the other side of the judgment seat. And Paul wrote about that on several occasions. In Philippians 1.27 he says to the brothers and sisters, stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, And that's really our aim as we're considered our subject over the week, uh, to develop that spirit of Barnabas so that it filters not only in our own domestic operations, but also uh, through our interaction with our brothers and sisters. And so we'll notice that that presentation continues in verse 3. It says, Long time therefore abode they, plural, not just Paul, I'll just say, well, Paul spoke boldly. It says, long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord. So, again, we've been highlighting that Barnabas wasn't just a passive observer. He wasn't just standing on the side. But this dual presentation of the gospel made it particularly bold. So this word bold is very interesting in the Greek. I won't pronounce it, but it means to be frank in utterance, to be confident in spirit and demeanour. So here are these two men presenting it very powerfully. Uh, Again, just back in chapter 13, verse 46, we have the same description. Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. And that same uh, word is used of Apollos. And he was a very eloquent and a very bold speaker. So there's this duality with Paul and Barnabas that they were both powerful presentations uh, when they presented the gospel. And that was in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So. Our our theme for this morning is Barnabas as a persistent preacher, helping and supporting the Apostle uh, Paul. So one of the uh, things that I've done, particularly in chapter 4, is I've coloured the word they, because I just want to be reminded, when I read this narrative, of the support and the help that Barnabas gave to Paul. So of course it's there in verse 1, the word they. It's in verse 3, we've already said that, they abode they. Again, at the end of verse 3, the wonders done by their hands, at the end of verse 4 we've got an interesting uh, comment which I'll unpack in a minute but it says in part with the apostles, that's Paul and Barnabas, in chapter 5, to use them despitefully, verse 6, they were aware of it, verse 7, and they preached the gospel. So together again this narrative is underlining the supportive emphasis of Barnabas. And you'll note as we said they, they both provided miracles. End of verse 3 says signs and wonders done by their hands. So we don't often associate Barnabas with miracles. But here's an indication he had 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 a range, possibly the full range, of the Holy Spirit gifts. He was also able to do signs and wonders. Now that little phrase is unique for the great work of the apostles. It's in Acts 2 verse 43. It says, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So it's a phrase that connects to the original presentation by the apostles themselves. And again in Acts 5 verse 12, by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders. There's that phrase, wrought among the people. Now what's interesting about that is at the end of verse 4, Barnabas is elevated and described as an apostle. Now we might just say, well that's one cent, and they were selected by the Holy Spirit. And that's true enough. But in verse 4 and in verse 14 of this chapter, Barnabas is described as an Apostle. Now the interesting thing is this is the only time, this is the only time in the whole of the record when that term Apostle is applied to someone outside the realm of the original Apostles. When you look up the word Apostle, uh, it always relates to the original Apostles except in verse 4 and 14 of this particular chapter. So it sort of elevates really Barnabas' his association, his connection uh, almost alongside the original Apostles. Because, of course, he was cooperating with uh, the Apostle Paul. Well, it says in verse three that uh, it says particularly long time they abode with the brothers and sisters. With the, you'll notice at the end of verse two, with the brethren. Uh, one wonders when they sort of fled from Antioch, it was, they were quickly sort of repelled from Antioch. Why they abode for such a long time here in Iconium? Why not move to a, another area where there'd be better results? And that is the point, that's the connecting point to the brethren there. Because you'll notice in verse 2, there was an assault and there was violence meted out against the brethren in verse 2. So because of the Barnabas spirit, Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time to give encouragement. You'll notice there's a little signature statement by Barnabas there in verse 3 which gave testimony unto, and here's that signature statement, the word of his grace. Right, We've seen that in previous occasions where uh, Barnabas came to the original Antioch ecclesia and he observed and witnessed the word and the growth of grace there. So here it is again here in this little ecclesia that was growing. And so if there was ever a time for encouragement and support, Paul and Barnabas abode in that place despite the resistance to help develop and give direction to the brothers and sisters. Well, it came to a point, of course, in verse 5 where it became physical and it it records in verse 5 there was an assault both of the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to stone them. We find that hard to connect to because as Brother Bob said, we, we meet here in freedom. Uh, We have uh, a beautiful opportunity to gather together to open the word without any harassment from the authorities. So, it's a little bit hard for us to connect to this physical onslaught. But, sort of, Barnabas was associated in all of this. And, you know, when you paint the picture, he could have suggested to Paul that, well, maybe, Paul, you're being a a little bit provocative. Maybe you need to back off with the message a little bit and not to present it uh, in the face of these people. We, We can do that in a quiet way. And, of course, there may be occasions when that counsel is fairly wise. But it is important, of course, to present the Gospel with robustness and with the original foundational message. And that's really probably a challenge to us today as the social conditions around us change and we sort of start to morph our message into make it, well, what we think is a little bit more palatable. So we do need to present the Gospel and its foundation principles, which makes us unique as Christadelphians. But whatever the feelings of Barnabas, he stood by the Apostle Paul. He accepted the stresses and demands of preaching the gospel. We don't read of any complaint by Barnabas. And, of course, I think for all of us in the ecclesial context, uh, we need to be accepting sometimes of the, the bluntness with which other brother and sisters make a comment, perhaps about us or perhaps about somebody else. Bluntness, I hope, is done in a, in a nice way. But sometimes it helps to apprehend the apathy and the comfort with which we become accustomed. Someone makes a, a fairly strong comment and it wakes us up and we think, well, yeah, maybe I do need to recalibrate or, or have a think about that particular aspect of life. So verse 5 says there was an assault. Uh, it's the Greek word hormi and it means a violent attempt. That's the translation of diagra, a violent attempt. Same word is used of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 18, 32. It says he was delivered to the Gentiles, they mocked, and spitefully entreated him and spat on him. So you can see the, the level of the violence, and it seems strange in our society that, that people become so aggressive. I mean, in today's society we talk about our beliefs and the aspect of the truth, and people shrug their shoulders and say, oh, it's fine, You know, it's lovely, it's your opinion. So we don't have this sort of physical oppression that these men had to deal with. So it says, you know, they, they, they fled. Barnabas was putting his life on the line with the Apostle Paul. And again, when we characterise the Apostle Paul, he's out there, he's vigorous, he's determined, he's enthusiastic, he'll do anything. Uh, Barnabas didn't back off. He didn't get to this point so we know what John marked effect and I'm I'm sort of feeling the pressure now and I might back off as well. None of that, he continued persistently with the Apostle Paul, putting his life on the line for the preaching of the Gospel. And so there it says in verse 7, there they preached the gospel. They continued. They were (laughs) fleeing all the way, but they continued to preach the gospel. We had an incident some years ago when we went to China. I still remember this. In China, of course, it was quite oppressive and you do have to be very sensitive and very careful how you conduct yourself. You can't just sort of go out in the street and uh, start proclaiming the gospel. So the brothers and sisters normally would come in a very unobtrusive way to where we would be located, which would be often in a hotel. Uh, And there we would sort of have fellowship together, we'd have a memorial service together, um, and quite a wonderful experience. And I remember on this particular occasion, we had a couple of sisters in Guangzhou, and um, they were so excited to see us, they said, oh, can we sing some hymns together? It would be such a wonderful time for us because normally we're on our own, and we had Brother Colin and Sister Kerry Warner with us. So with the six of us, they said, this would be a great time to sing hymns. Well, we were a little bit apprehensive because we're in a hotel, and we're thinking, if. You know, our melodious tones echo down the corridors that might sort of uh, make people come up and wonder what's going on. So we thought, well, maybe we'll sing together. That's fine, but let's choose a hymn that sort of we can sing (laughs) a little bit softly. Life is the time to serve the Lord or something. And in the end, the sister said, can we sing the hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns? And we're thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be interesting. So sort of we burst out with gusto, wondering what was going to be the impact. But on that particular occasion, I wondered about, you know, the courage and the beautiful two sisters that were with us that were uninhibited in the way we want to sing together, you know, whatever the effect it was going to be of the consequences. So I'm reminded of that, of course, uh, when I read this little statement, they preached the gospel, they were uninhibited, Paul and, and Barnabas, as they presented that. Now, what's interesting, when they came to Lystra in verse 8, we've got a particular word there that's really important, it's the word certain. It says, a certain man is a cripple from his mother's womb. You know what's interesting? When you come across to chapter 16 and verse 1, he's at Lystra as well. Same term is used. Chapter 16 and verse 1 says, they came to, they're on the return journey from Derby back to Lystra. And here it comes again, interesting. Behold, a certain disciple named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman. I must think there's a connecting point between the narrative there in chapter 14 and this incident in chapter 16, linked by that word certain, a particular. And of course, what happens back in chapter 14 and verse 9 is that the same man heard Paul speak and he steadfastly beheld him, perceiving that he had faith to be healed. It's very possible that this young man, who was a cripple, was Timothy. And that word healed there, the Greek... The word sozo is used 120 times in the New Testament. 94 times it's used the word saved. Right, So not just a physical healing process, it's a very broader word. In fact, the first time that word is used is in Matthew 1.21. It's the message uh, to the angel to Joseph about Mary. And the angel says, She will bring forth a son, you will call his name Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. So there's where that first Greek word is used. It's used in a broader context, not just like a healing process, but a saving process. And again, for for example, Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Same Greek word, sozo. So a, a broader aspect than just a healing aspect, a saving aspect as well. And that was always the message of our Lord Jesus Christ and the method. When he went about healing... It was not not just a temporary moment, but there was an additional support and encouragement that people should seek the way of salvation and the way of life. And, of course, if that's the case here at verse 8 in Lystra, where this lame man is healed, um, then, of course, he became a great follower of the Apostle Paul. On the next journey that the Apostle Paul came through, he selected Timothy because he was held in reputation. Now, what's really nice, I think, again, in verse 10... The Apostle Paul says with a loud voice, Stand upright. So he's lame. It's very difficult for him to stand. Apostle Paul says, Stand upright. Look what happens next. And this is, again, the spirit of Timothy. (laughs) Uh, It says, uh, And and he leaped. And he leaped up. He leaped up and walked. An indication, perhaps, of his enthusiasm and that surge of energy that he felt through his body. Indicative almost of, you know, this whole following aspect of the Apostle Paul. Now, there's a similar example back in Acts chapter 3. Remember Peter and John went to the temple and there was this lame man and he wanted to be he wanted some alms, some donations. And Peter and John said, look, we haven't got any silver. Um, and here's the record. But such as I have, I give unto you in the name of Christ Jesus, rise up and walk. And then a couple of verses later it says, and he leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. So I have this amazing picture of here's the Pharisees all sort of hanging around with all their grim faces, they're grumpy, they're grieved because of all this preaching effort. And sort of in the background there's this man just leaping and jumping and praising God in the temple, just in the background there. And such a contrast between the formality and the ritualism of the, the Pharisees and just the joy of these people who are being healed. That's our joy, brothers and sisters. You know, I I like to think just the other side of the judgment seat will be leaping, Um, you know, as Isaiah 35 says, uh, and just rejoicing there will be that physical element, just of freedom and immortality and a pure mind, just such a wonderful experience. So uh, for this particular young man, of course, possibly Timothy, uh, what an amazing circumstance. And the people of Lystra respond in verse 11. Quite a different result from the previous gospel preaching efforts of Paul and Barnabas. We get that in life, don't we? I'm sure you are the same as us. We've had special efforts, no one's turned up. Or, of course, we've had a great handful of people that have turned up and they're all enthusiastic. So verse 11, uh, they lifted up their voice in the speech of Lyconia and said, The gods have come down to us. Also, they're in their native dialect and it took some time with all the, the hubble and the bubble of conversation for Paul and Barnabas to understand what was going on. The people were convening a ceremony to uphold the power of these two men and they were being incarnated as though they're gods. Well, this was sort of not the way the, the message was supposed to go. Paul and Barnabas were horrified at that particular thought and they wanted the people to stop. Now, what's interesting is the description of Barnabas. All right, the description of Barnabas in verse 12. They called Barnabas, and unfortunately the King James Version from the Vulgate is the sort of Latin Roman gods, which loses effect. But the most modern translations, if you have the ESV, you'll have Zeus. They called Barnabas Zeus, who was the principal Greek god. And Paul, they called in the Greek Hermes, who was Zeus's spokesman. All right. So this is quite interesting. This observation from the people wasn't well, Barnabas was in the shadow and Paul was out there. They actually named Barnabas as Zeus, the god of gods, the most foremost one, the king of gods. Why did he worship? Temple to Zeus was all over the Greek area. There, it was the god of sky and thunder. So it would appear that uh, we have to paint the picture a little bit. That, uh, well, as far as Zeus was concerned, he was always depicted as a very regal person, sturdy, powerful figure. If you have a look at some of the archaeological uh, effects, he's there with sort of a beard and he looks quite a strong character. So when we step back from this, it seems evident that Barnabas's appearance was more imposing than the Apostle Paul's. And so he was looked upon as Zeus, the chief god, and Paul's sort of public eloquence led them to conclude that he was the messenger of Zeus. And we note, of course, the response in verse 14, and notice the way the names have been inverted. Normally it's Paul's coming first, but here it says, when the apostles, there's that word again, Barnabas and Paul heard it, uh, they, they sort of gave direction that there is only one true God. So just stepping back, that's an interesting observation itself. And again, what we're trying to do through our special effort is sort of highlight the supportive work of Barnabas. He wasn't a shadow. He was sort of alongside and equal to the Apostle Paul. And in this just observation of the citizens of um, Lystra, that that seems to be quite evident. Well, then we have another incident in verse 14. It says, and they came to the certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. You know, Antioch's 244 kilometres away. Antioch is 244 kilometres away. And there are people coming from Antioch all the way to oppose Paul and Barnabas. I mean, I, I I can barely comprehend the ferocity and the resistance of the opposition of these people. Unbelievable. So, they're coming all this way and they single out Paul for an attack. Maybe because, as we've said, he had more to say, described as the messenger of the gods, or maybe because he is weaker in physique. You remember the Corinthians sort of talked about that in a disparaging way. They said his bodily presence is weak. So maybe Barnabas was fairly stout and forthright and Paul was, you know, a little bit thinner, and so they sort of picked on the Apostle Paul. Well, we know from the record there, sadly, verse 19, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city and dumped him down there as dead, So where was Barnabas in all this? You know, I I guess he was protecting and supporting and shielding his brothers and his sisters. But just imagine for a moment how Barnabas felt. You know, this friendships forged in the heat of presenting the gospel in difficult and aggressive territory. That's a friendship that's, you know, long-lasting. And all of a sudden, Paul is stoned, he's dragged out, you know, blood running down, bruises, uh, he's unconscious, he's not breathing, barely breathing. Can you imagine how Barnabas felt in that moment? They all thought he was, that Paul was dead. It would have been shock, stress. Barnabas would have been thinking, well, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit selected Paul and I to be presented as the Gospel. Why would this happen? And that's the story of our life, isn't it? Sometimes we have circumstances that we think this doesn't make a, a lot of sense at all. But, of course, there was Barnabas protecting his brothers and sisters and the record in verse 20 says the disciples stood round about him. I can imagine Barnabas gathering them together. I mean, they're not standing there indifferently. Uh, I think they would have possibly almost formed a circle around him and there was a combination of, we would imagine, prayer and protection perhaps. James chapter 5 talks about, is any sick? Let the elders of the Ecclesia pray over this particular person And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And perhaps that happened with Barnabas leading that prayer for God to be merciful in this situation. So they stopped there and they encouraged the young disciples, young brothers and sisters, as it were, to come to terms with what had happened and that they too would be partakers of the affliction of the gospel. Those scars and the bruises and the battering that Paul had left its impact, I think emotionally, obviously, on the Apostle Paul, but certainly physical. A little bit later on in Galatians 6 and 17, he says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, the ecclesia in Galatia, of which Lister was a member, would have known that well and truly. And a few years later, when he wrote to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 11.25, he said, once I was stoned. Well, that's this incident here. So remember the Apostle Paul in Corinthians says, look, I went through all these physical afflictions. They impacted me. So, you know, I, I certainly uh, put my time into, and my body into preaching the gospel. And he makes a comment, once was I stoned. Well, that's this incident here. So he certainly remembered it. And for us, you know, perhaps that's in some ways challenging because we all talk about the pressures of this age. And it's true enough, we do have that sort of mental anxiety and the pressures that we face. But nothing like these two brethren, Paul, and Barnabas. And you can imagine after a night's rest, it it talks about uh, that the next day they sort of rose and they moved on. So you can imagine the uh, journey Barnabas would have possibly had to assist the Apostle Paul. I mean, I don't think you could be stoned one day and just sort of jump up and (laughs) leap as it were and away you go. So he would have had to support uh, the Apostle Paul physically, emotionally, mentally as well. Uh, And and that's something that we do as brothers and sisters, don't we? We we need to play our part in that particular role. So verse 21 talks about when they preached the gospel to that city, they taught many, they returned again. So they went off to Derby and then they returned again, surprisingly, back along the pathway. Now here's the point. Paul's hometown, Tarsus, is 125km away from Derby. They could have returned, you know, as they're limping their way through almost, well, particularly Paul, Barnabas could have suggested to Paul, hey, listen, I think we've done enough. Tarsus is just around the corner here. Let's just keep going this way. But no, and this is the persistency of these, these two beautiful, amazing brethren. There's just a little ecclesia that's been little ecclesias being established. They said, let's go back and make sure they're all okay. <laughs> amazing. So they both turned back and retraced their steps. And I think, obviously, that's possibly the, Influence of Barnabas, the great encourager who knew the importance of reinforcement. It's it's, it's our Sunday mornings for us, isn't it, brothers and sisters? This is reinforcement to us. It's a cycle, it's a routine. It's a good cycle, it's a good routine. Because if we go without a Sunday morning, then we can put ourselves certainly in spiritual danger. So, again, you want to colour the word they in from verse 21 through. Verse 21, when they had preached the gospel... They returned to Lystra, verse 23. When they ordained elders in every ecclesia and prayed with the fasting, they commended them, verse 24. After they passed through, they came to Pamphylia, verse 25, they preached the word, they went down to Atalia, they had been recommended, they fulfilled, verse 27, they were come, they rehearsed. Uh, so, you know, there's a very strong textual emphasis on the dual presentation support Barnabas and, and, and the Apostle Paul working together. And, of course, the exhortation in verse 22 is always very powerful. Um, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and through much tribulation we should enter in the kingdom of God. Well, that word um, exhorting, of course, is the nickname of Barnabas. Paraclesis, the encourager, all right? So there it is there in that verse. That word exhorting is the word paracleo. And that's Barnabas' name from Acts 4 verse 36 and 11 verse 23. He's named the comforter, the paracletus. And here's Barnabas' word. Coming back through, uh, restating the brothers and sisters, re-encouraging them. And we need that, don't we, brothers and sisters? We can't survive without the word. We need that re-encouragement, that booster. Uh, and that is very helpful for us. You need to continue through much tribulation. Wow, that exhortation certainly echoes down to us. We feel very privileged in the environment that we worship God in. Sometimes, and, and particularly depending on the way that the social changes happen, maybe we will be challenged physically. Maybe we will have to go after to prison for our beliefs. It's not unknown. Certainly by first century brothers and sisters that was the case. So really, Paul and Barnabas encourage them in three aspects continue in the faith, stand fast and persevere and, and that echoes down to us and you know what, what a wonderful gesture of sister Lydia and brother Joe for their, their faithful service, 60 plus years in the truth. These are contemporary examples that are helpful and inspiring to us. So Paul and Barbara say continue, stick to it, persevere. Secondly they say you've got to be willing to um, cope with trial and with tribulation and again we just look at our own lives and look back on our experiences and we see some elements of that and finally of course that last phrase in verse 22 the kingdom of God. There's a focus. So continue cope and focus on the kingdom of God. Well then Paul and Barnabas head back home which is uh, really would have been wonderful for them. They were away for about a year and you could imagine the excitement of their home ecclesia uh, in verse twenty seven and twenty eight. The excitement as Paul and Barnabas come back after the commission that they were given. I can imagine they have a special effort, a special fraternal. they share their experiences. Paul and Barnabas had lots of stories to tell them. and now they're going to sort of, well, they're going to encourage their home ecclesia because look at verse twenty six and twenty seven. And notice the focus here. Thence they sailed to end up from whence they had been recommended to, and here it comes, the grace of God for the work they fulfilled. When they were come, they gathered the ecclesia together and rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith. So see the emphasis on God? It's not about their story. It's not about them. It's the grace of God. It's what God had done and that he had opened a door of faith. What a wonderful perspective these two brothers had. There was no pride in what they've done. You know, we we had a tough time, but we persevered. None of that. It was all about what God has done in our lives. And that's the story of our life, isn't it, brothers and sisters? Yes, we have experiences that we, we like to talk about, and that's great. We need conversations to be had. But in the end, we're here this morning because of the grace of God that's been extended to us as well. And just as Paul and Barnabas needed each other, so we need each other in these difficult days. It's why we have ecclesias. It's why we have fellowship, so that we can rejoice together in the grace of God. So some questions for ourselves as we come to the emblems now and as we think about our own lives. In a difficult environment, do we work together as a team? Uh, Now, that might even relate to husband, wife, children, family, by extension, ecclesia as well. Do we work as a team? Because there's Paul and Barnabas, tough times, tough brethren sticking together. Um, Are we passive observers or participating supporters? Question. You know, do we we volunteer when there's things to be done in the ecclesia? Or we just sort of stand back and think, I hope someone else takes that because, look, I like to be passive. (laughs) Um, How do we feel when others are suffering in the truth? You know, so for Barnabas, in that moment, as he looked down at the body of the Apostle Paul, barely breathing, how did he feel? How do we connect to other brothers and sisters in their trials and difficulties? You know, Paul talks about rejoicing with those that rejoice and weeping with those that weep. Um, Do we have a, a persistent spirit to endure difficult times? And do we understand and accept that tribulation is an important part of the process? Because sometimes... We sort of get into a zone where we think, why me? I don't understand this. No one else is having the depth of trial that I'm having. We've got to comprehend providentially the grace of God working in our lives. And Paul was taught that. He had had some difficulty that he prayed three times to be relieved of. And God says, no, that's where my strength is actually seen and forged and made. And finally, do we give God the glory and focus on his operation in our lives? And that's why we're here this morning, to think about the service of this amazing man, the great encourager, supersedes, of course, Barnabas in an amazing way. So here are the symbols of of blood and wine. Uh, This man accomplished more than any other man ever could. He's a man who was not just a passive observer, our Lord Jesus Christ, But he was fully involved in supporting his disciples right through that garden of Gethsemane. Upon the cross, he looked down upon his mum and asked John spiritually to take care and give advice and counsel and support to his mother. Support, encouragement, just exuding out of this man, advising others to continue in the way. And our Lord Jesus Christ lived that phrase, didn't he, through much tribulation? He went through that Garden of Gethsemane, he gave himself in the ultimate sacrifice of death and now he sits on the right hand of the Father, not in a passive sense, but the ultimate definition of the Barnabas spirit, we might say. Because Paul writes about it this way. We don't have a high priest who's untouched. He's not unfeeling about our infirmities and our weaknesses. In every point, he's tested, he's been tested like we are, of course, but without sin. And so Paul says, let's come boldly before that throne, that seat, that dwelling place, that presence, that centre of grace, he says, so that we too can find mercy and grace to help build and to encourage us in our lives. Here, now, he says, in this our moment of need. They're wonderful, encouraging words by the Apostle Paul as he directs our focus upon our Lord Jesus Christ, the great encourager. Let's take the essence of the service of these great men and apply it in our own lives as we walk and as we wait for the kingdom of God.